Back in Philippians chapter 3, I want to read verse 10 again. This is our text. This was Paul's goal. This was his ambition. The one thing that he strived for. He says there in verse 10 that I may know him, that is Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The title of the message is Saving Faith, Knowing Christ. That's a brief definition, but I think that sums it up pretty good. Saving faith is knowing Christ. After all the dust has settled, after time shall be no more, when God in glorious majesty ushers all mankind before him, the only thing that will matter, the only criteria whether I here enter into the joy prepared for you or those awful words, depart from me, I never knew you, would depend upon this alone. Do I know him? Do I know the Lord Jesus Christ? In John chapter 10, our Lord told the religious leaders this. He was speaking to those, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who claimed to be the leaders of the people, who claimed to be the teachers. And Christ told them, it's not so. It's not so. You're not the shepherd. I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I know my sheep. Christ knows who his sheep are before he calls them. He knows them. He knows them from eternity. He knows them before the world was ever created when God Almighty committed them, entrusted them into the hands of Christ as their Savior, their surety, their mediator. Again, in that same chapter, he said, My sheep, John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. I know them. That is, I, I love them. I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them, not everybody, but them, eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. But I only read half of that verse in John 10, verse 14 where Christ said, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep. He went on to say, and am known of mine. I know them and they know me. Just as we love him because he first loved us, we know him because he first knowed us. This is what Paul speaks of in our text, the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not a small thing. That's a rare thing. That's, that's very rare. Uh, that's a God-given faith. It didn't originate with you, Billy Cobb. If, uh, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because God granted you faith to see the Son of God. It didn't originate with man. It's not sustained by man. And it's not because of man. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. If God Almighty, if God Almighty hadn't granted me faith, I would never believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I could be religious. I could act spiritual. I could put on a show, but I couldn't confess what Paul does here. I know him. I know him. 
Our Lord again in Luke's gospel, chapter 10, verse 22, this is what he said. All things, all things. What is that, Larry? That's all things. That's everything. There's nothing left out. There's nothing that's not under his domain. There's nothing that doesn't come under his rule and reign. All things are delivered to me by my Father. And no man knoweth, no man, Knoweth who the Son is. Can Oh, they can have a knowledge, a head knowledge as they call it of Jesus Christ, but they can't really know who the Son is, not in a saving way, but the Father. And who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Again, the blessedness of a, of a believer consists in his personal experience of knowing Christ. Hmm? Again, in Matthew 16, Along the same subject, he says, He saith unto them, that is, disciples, Whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Often Peter, like most of us, stuck his foot in his mouth when he should have kept quiet, spoke up, and afterwards wished he'd have just, I'd have been better just to keep that to myself. But he hit the nail on the head here, didn't he? Hmm? What a testimony. Peter says, thou art the Christ. I don't have any doubt about that. Peter said, I don't have any question about that. I'm not influenced by what the other people are saying. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Let them say what they will. I know better. Peter said, I know that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus Christ said to him, Peter, you're smarter than the other people. It's not what he said at all, did he? Hmm? Peter, you've learned this on your own. No, that's not what he said. Our Lord said to Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. You're a blessed man. You're not a rich man, but you're a blessed man. You're not wealthy, but you're blessed. Because my Father's done something for you that in his good and glorious wisdom is not done for everybody else. Many he's passed by. Many he's passed by, but Peter, he's revealed to you who I am. You're blessed. You're blessed now and you'll be blessed forever. But my Father has revealed this to you, my Father which is in heaven. And that brings us to our first thought here in our text. The one thing Paul counted that made all those things that he previously thought were precious to be no more than rubbish. Paul says those things he mentioned in verses 4, 5, and 6. His religious pedigree, his ancestry, he says, put it in the garbage can and take it out to the dump. It's just rubbish. It's trash. Well then, Paul, what do you count precious now? You once considered that precious. That was your hope. That was your foundation. That was the reason you thought God accepted you. All those things. What is your hope now? Paul says that I might know Christ. Everything. Everything that I ever knew or thought I knew before is nothing compared to this. This excels them all. This is greater than all. These are the true riches that I might know the Lord Jesus Christ. Yesterday I read a message that Brother Henry Mahan preached in 1986. It was from his television broadcast, and uh, it was transcribed, and I enjoyed reading it. 
title of his message was Reflections of 60 Years. Bobby, I remember Henry 10 years later preached the Reflections of 70 Years. I was in Danville and had the privilege of hearing him preach the message Reflections of 80 Years. Same text, same grace, same faithful God. Henry's text was from Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. Lord, make me to know my end. Hmm. And the measure of my days, what it is that I may know, how frail I am. Behold, I was made my day as a hand breath, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity, Selah. Think about that. These things Henry wrote or preached, these things have always been true. Truth never changes. Somebody said, if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. That is God's truth. It's everlasting as God is. Henry said, truth is absolute. These things have to be learned. We have to learn them personally, and we have to learn them individually. The only way to learn anything is to experience it. I like that, don't you? <laughs> he said, we say that we believe certain things. We don't believe anything until we experience it. When we experience it, then we know. Paul here speaks from a personal experience when he speaks of this excellent knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's just not a mere intellectual knowledge that Paul speaks of. He had that before. <laughs> Such knowledge would not be require him suffering the loss of all things. Such head knowledge would not be worth the price he paid, would it? No, no. Most people, many people, most people I know, they have that. They have a head knowledge. If Paul had undergone all that he did and sacrificed all that he had for such a knowledge as that, it wouldn't be worth anything. Christ, Christ, Paul said, that's the one I want to know. I want to know him. I want to experience knowing him based upon a personal experience of knowing the Lord. There are thousands who are ready for ready to profess they know Christ, they know Jesus Christ, but that knowledge consists of nothing more than just a, an acquaintance with a creed or some doctrine or a useless profession, a useless profession, but has never, never been in living contact with the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Never known what it is to know him to know him, to hear him speak, not the preacher, not the soul winner, not mom, not dad, but to hear Jesus Christ himself speak as never a man could or ever can. Thy sins, which are many, are all forgiven thee. Oh, the joy, the joy when God is pleased to do that. I cannot know Christ through another person's mind. Hmm? I cannot love him with another man's heart. And I cannot see him through another's eyes. I must know him for him myself. Listen to what Paul said in another place. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Hmm. For I know whom I have believed. Oh, my. So Paul, when he wrote that, when he said those words to his beloved Timothy, he was sitting in prison. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. I can almost hear the footsteps of my ex executioner coming now to take me out. The time of my departure is at hand, but Timothy, I'm not ashamed. It's been a worthy cause. <laughs> the, 
the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he committed to my trust. I'm not ashamed of that. I never was since he called me that day on the Damascus road and revealed his son in me. For I know whom I have believed. Oh, my soul, that'll give you a soft pillow to lay your head on in a dying hour, won't it? Nothing else will. I heard someone preach one time and they said, I've never, I've never heard a dying man or woman say, oh, I wished I had a bigger bank account. I wish I had more property. I wish I had a bigger house. Oh, no, Paul, so the only thing that will matter, that I might know him. I know whom I have believed. What a joy. What a comfort, because that day is coming. It's soon coming. Billy, when every one of us will be called out to meet God one by one, I don't know who will be next. It may be you. It may be me. Oh, but the joy. The joy of knowing whom I have believed. To be able to say with Paul, I know Jesus Christ. I know him. And I'm persuaded that he's able. Mm, isn't he able? To keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The, the apostle speaks with the holy confidence, doesn't he? And triumph. Oh, do you hear the victory note in his song? I know whom I have believed. I stand, Paul seemed to say, I'm standing on firm ground. <laughs> I know I have put my great trust in the hands of the best trustee, Jesus Christ. I've committed everything to him, and it's saved. It's saved my life, my soul, everything I've committed to him. And that one Paul believed to be the saving of his soul said this, this is life eternal. People give you my soul, various, various, varied definitions as to what a Christian is. What does it mean to be a Christian? Christ said, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Again, from that message I read by Brother Henry, he said, yes, I have learned that salvation is a person. Salvation is a living, vital union with a person. Don't be satisfied with just a profession, a doctrine, or an affiliation with a group of religious people. Salvation is to know Christ and to love Christ. Salvation is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's a good hope. That's a good hope, isn't it? Thank God. Thank God. If he made you thirsty to know the living God to know Jesus Christ, and he would not allow you to rest short of anything else. He wouldn't allow you to be satisfied with anything else. Oh, I must have Christ. I must know Christ. Robin sent me this this morning. I liked it so much I had finished my notes, but I included this in it, a portion of an article by old J.C. Philpott from Psalm 106, verse 4. Oh, visit me with your salvation. Oh, God, visit me with your salvation. Philpott wrote, he needs a visit from God. He wants God to come and dwell with him. Take up his abode in his heart. Discover himself to him. Manifest and reveal himself. Sit down with him and eat with him and walk with him and dwell with him as God. And a living soul can be satisfied with nothing short of this. If God makes a man thirsty, he won't be satisfied till he drinks from the water of life, Jesus Christ himself. He told that woman at the well, 
Whosoever drinks of this water, they're going to thirst again. But, but, <laughs> you drink of the water that I shall give you, and you will never thirst again. Something, his saints of old, he wants something for himself, rather, something that should do his soul good. He wants something that shall cheer him, fresh, comfort, and bless and profit him, remove his burdens, settle his soul in peace, peace. And therefore he wants a visitation that the presence and power and mercy and love of God alone can give. Oh, God, visit me with your salvation. Oh, pass me not. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. You ever cried that? Ever cried that? Pass me not, O gentle Savior. If you pass me by, if you, if you don't pause, if you don't stop, if you don't hear my cry, if you don't have mercy upon me, I'm a goner. I'm a goner. Oh, Rolf Barnard was preaching one time. We've been preaching for several nights at a church in after he preached his last message, before he even came down from the pulpit, two young men got up and walked up to him, stood in front of him. Rolf, you know, I heard he was a pretty rough customer. I never knew him, but I heard he was pretty tough. <laughs> he looked down at these two young men and said, what do you want? And one said, I want to go to heaven when I die. He said, oh, man, go down and go back and sit down. And the man just shuffled on back, no problem. The other young man just stood there weeping. He said, I said, go sit down, Barner told him. And he said, Mr. Barner, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I must have Christ. I must have his grace and glory, his mercy. I can't leave here. I can't leave here. I don't want to lay down in my bed tonight without knowing that my sins are forgiven. I must have mercy. And old Barnard said, young man, I believe God's got something for you. <laughs> oh, pass me not, old gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Oh, what a joy. What a joy to know that my sins are all forgiven. Bobby used to sing this. I requested her to sing it more than once, many times. Love with an everlasting love. Drawn by grace that love to know. Spirit sent from Christ above. Thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and precious peace from his presence all divine in a love that cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. Heaven and earth may fade and flee, firstborn light in gloom decline, but while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. God by the Prophet Jeremiah said this, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. Knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Here's the second question. Why? Why is it so? Why must salvation rest here in knowing Christ? Is there no other way to enter glory? Is there no other way to know God except through Jesus Christ? Because salvation, deliverance, and eternal life is of the Lord. It's a miracle of his grace. It's a miracle. It's a work and an operation of God. 
Salvation includes a new birth, a new creation. It's the work that only God himself can perform. One day the disciples asked him, as they watched a young man that impressed them, walk away. And heard what Christ said to them. They said, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? You remember what our Christ said? Now, most preachers today, the majority of them, will say that it's easy. It's not a problem. <laughs> Christ said, no, that's not so. Who can be saved? He said, with men, it's impossible. Impossible. Salvation is only possible with God because all things are possible with him. Once more, once more, from Brother Henry's message, he said, I've learned this. I've experienced this, and I know it to be true. Salvation is of the Lord. <laughs> I'm glad that's so, aren't you? He said, I've seen this. I've seen in these 40 years I've been preaching that so many people get religion. I've seen them walk aisles. I've seen them shake the preacher's hand. I've seen them sign pledge cards. I've seen them go into the inquiry room. I've seen them make professions, join churches, and get baptized. I've seen people reform their lives. I've even seen them preach and teach and occupy pulpits, pastor and occupy offices in the church. So many of them turn away and they fall away. We've seen them. It's heartbreaking. It's sad, isn't it? They depart from the faith. This makes it clearer and clearer to me every day that salvation is of the Lord. Will you also go away? Oh, thank God. If you can say, I've got no place else to go. It's a work of God and a miracle of his grace. It's a work that only God performs. A man cannot create within himself a new heart. A man cannot give himself a new nature, but God can. A man cannot make himself born again, but God can. This is what Jonah learned, didn't he? He learned it the hard way. <laughs> Jonah 2 and 9, salvation is of the Lord. Jonah knew he got himself into that mess, but he knew only God could get him out. Only God could get him out. Jesus Christ is the only name God has given under heaven whereby we must be saved because only he that is Christ has trod the winepress of God's wrath and he did it alone he by himself purged our sins the father gave his son and the son gave himself and by himself we read this in Hebrews 1 and 3 he purged our sins no one aided him in that mighty work of redemption no he by himself entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. God made Jesus Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. One is as certain as the other. Was Christ made sin? Then all those for whom he was made sin will be made the righteousness of God in him. What did Christ do? He purged our sins. What does that mean? It means he put them away. It means he paid for them. It means he effectually paid the price. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And that blood, the blood of Christ, cleanseth us from all sin. He totally satisfied God's law and justice on the behalf of his people. God says now, 
viewing Christ, I will remember your sins no more. No more. I will separate them as far from you as the east is from the west. I will cast them into the depths of the sea. I will cast them behind my back. I will remember them again no more. Christ himself purged our sins. You know, the Catholic Church has a included in all their other lies a doctrine of purgatory. I guess that's a halfway house. A man dies, he's not quite good enough for heaven, but he's not quite bad enough to hell, for hell, so he goes to a halfway house until the priest, after giving enough money to, will pray him out. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's not a letter, not a word in the word of God about that. No such thing. A believer's purging is right here. Here is where our sins were purged. He purged our sin. He purged them. He did it by himself. He purged all of our sins, the past, the present, the future, all of them he purged, he put away. Here's part and full of sins that's past. It matters not how black they're cast. And oh, my soul with wonder view for sins to come, here's part and two. Who did that? Christ himself. All alone walked the winepress of God's wrath. Someone put it this way. The royal bath in which black souls are washed white was drawn from the blood of Christ. The royal banquet of mercy was served up by one host, the Lord of glory. He's the Redeemer who by himself, without you, without me, without church, without anyone, purged our sins. Therefore, in light of that, Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? God justifies. Who is he that condemneth? Christ died. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is an effectual effectual atonement, a sin offering for sacrifice and for cleansing. Where is he now? (laughs) Uh, Hebrews 1 and 3, after he purged our sins, we read he sat down. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven on high. He sat down. What does that mean? It means the work of redemption was complete, finished. It means Christ offered himself to God, and it means God accepted the sacrifice. He accepted the atonement Christ made on behalf of his people. Now God can be just in justifying a sinner. On the grounds of justice satisfied, God is now faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. Hmm. In the light of Christ being made sin for his people, God declares of all those whose sins Christ bore in his own body on the tree, deliver his soul from going down to the pit. Why? How? I found a ransom. I found a ransom. From hence, this is one of the top ladies' old hymns. From whence this fear and unbelief has not the Father put to grief his spotless son for me? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin which Lord was charged to thee? Complete atonement thou hast made and to the utmost farthing paid whate'er thy people owed. How then can wrath on me take place if sheltered in his righteousness and sprinkled with his blood? If thou hast my discharge procured and freely in my room endured the whole of wrath divine, payment God cannot twice demand, first at my bleeding surety's hand and then again at mine. 
as he told that mob in the garden. If it's me you seek, here I am. Take me, but you've got to let my sheep go. <laughs> if you take me, my sheep has to go free. Here's the last question. How can a sinner know him? Know him, win him, and be found in him. You remember when Paul and Silas was in Philippi? And they were in prison, thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. Remember there was an earthquake and the prison doors just flew open. And the jailer assumed all the prisoners had escaped. And he was responsible for them. He would have to answer for them. So he was just going to commit suicide. And Peter, or I'm sorry, Paul shouted out, don't, don't hurt yourself. No need to do that. We're all here. And the jailer came trembling, trembling, fell down before them and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas gave one answer, one answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Look what grace has done. Look what the grace that is in Christ Jesus does. And the jailer took them, that is Paul and Silas, the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes and was baptized. How about that? Was baptized. He and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing God with all of his house. There said another trophy of that one who, who is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. Remember what he said, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Mm. My soul, what encouragement those words are. What incentive, reason to preach the gospel, to continue to preach the gospel to many or few. <laughs> to all those God opens a door, and gives you opportunity to do so. Why? Because other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. I must bring. I will bring them to myself in time. I'll draw them to myself. I will keep them. I'll preserve them. And then I'll bring them all the way to glory. Them also I must bring. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank God that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is a successful Savior. He does the seeking and he does the finding and he does the saving. He does it all. Knowing him, knowing him is the only thing that prepares a sinner when they leave this world to stand before God, to meet God. Not his work, but the work of Christ on his behalf. Another hymn, and we'll wrap this up. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh is born can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. And every sinner that believes on Jesus Christ has everlasting life and shall never come into condemnation. By that faith, which is the gift of God, every believer can join old Simeon when he said, Lord, let me die. <laughs> 
Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. Matthew Henry said this on that verse. He said, what a poor thing does this world look to what a poor thing does this world look to one that has Christ in his arms and salvation in his, in his eye. Those that have welcomed Christ may welcome death. Like Simeon, the child of God departs in peace. Peace with God. Because being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now may we, may we remember Christ who made peace with God for us and put his peace in us. Thy word alone, O Christ, thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your attention.